Amen. Thank you, worship team, this morning for that encouraging word. Are you alive this morning, church? Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make us alive. And when he makes us alive, it is a new life. And it's so different from the old life. It's a process, but if you're alive in Christ this morning, man, we are so glad you're here. And if you're not alive, he can be your savior too before this day is done. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're here with us the first time this morning and you are a guest, we are so honored and, and glad that you are with us here this morning at Sunset Hills. We'd love to get to know you more. Uh, we hope that you'll stop by our welcome desk on the way out and one of our people there will take care of you. You can also text the word hi, keeping it real simple. Hi, to our church number, 615-776-18. What's the rest of it, John Sawyer? 1807, that's right. Just text that on your phone. The worship team continue to lead us this morning.
this morning as we lift up your name, God. We do because we need you. God, in a world that everywhere we look around is filled with fear and anxiety, God, I just pray like you did on the raging sea that day that, God, you would just calm our hearts. Let us worship you today. God, be with Pastor Steve this morning as he delivers your word that you've laid on his heart. God, let it connect with our hearts. Lord, chisel away areas of our life that don't glorify you. God, today we thank you so much for the gift of salvation and through the way that you brought it to us through your son, Jesus. Sunset Hills, it's good to see you here in our time of worship. I think, uh, quite honestly, if there's one hymn that should be on our lips all the time, would be the one that we just did that says, I need thee every hour. Try to live life at all without Jesus for even one single minute, and you'll be much more miserable than what you are with him in your life. One of... uh, you, most of you know who I am. You know my background. You know that uh, I grew up with three brothers. There were no girls in our family, all four boys. And we were really close in ages, uh, especially Rick, R- myself, and Randall. And then Mike comes along four years after that. Uh, my mom and dad, what I understand, had an, arg- had an argument once. And uh, Mike was the result of their making up, from what I gather, heard about. Maybe that's a little more information that you need to know, but that's the case from what I understand. Mom's probably watching now from uh, our live stream, and she has a red face probably, no doubt. And she'll probably call me in a little while and say, why did you say that? But there you go. But in my, when we were growing up, uh, three, four boys in the family, it was always rambunctious. Did anybody grow up with that many brothers in your family? Anybody? There's a, several of us, all right? And we were always into things. But one of our favorite things that we enjoyed doing in our prime, pretty much in like fifth, sixth, and early middle school years or junior high years was to go camping. We enjoyed just going out and camping. Now, it wasn't camping in the sense that Lynn and I go camping these days in our travel trailer. Now, granted, our travel trailer is, uh, has a few years on it. In fact, more than a few years. I think our travel trailer is about 30 years old. But I want to tell you, our travel trailer compared uh, to those days that we were camping as kids, while you would think you were staying in a five-star hotel today as opposed to how we used to camp. So what we would do when we would go camping is basically go out into the backyard and spend a night in a tent. Not a fancy tent, uh, but it was, if you were to kind of get a picture in your mind today of what this tent 
was just a step above, let's say that you've got kids or grandkids and you want to go buy one of these play tents that you put in the middle of your den that they play in, you know, and then it kind of folds up and you take it down. Well, that was about the kind of tent that we were staying in. It's the kind that you would just hear somebody say, don't touch the sides or the top because if you do, it'll start leaking if it rains. Anybody know what I'm talking about, that kind of tent? It did not have a floor to it at all uh, and supposedly it would sleep six people you should have seen the time that mom and dad took us camping in that tent with all six of us in it it would have been a sight to behold uh, enough about the tent my point is that our method of camping was there was no planning there was no food that we would take with us there was no water there were no commodities we just would go out, pitch a tent, and maybe get some sleep with whatever covers that we could talk mom out of to take outside in the backyard. That was our camping experience. And it never failed that when we were out camping, and sometimes our friends would come over, that at some point in time, someone would say, let's tell some ghost stories. One of those stories that would always be told would be the story about the golden arm. Does anybody know the story about the golden arm besides? Please raise your hand if you do. Raise them up high, you know. There's some of us that do. I really figured that people would hear about this much more. Only recently did I discover that the golden arm is part of the ghost stories that I think Mark Twain put together. But I would tell you where it was told, a version of it recently, well, it's been before Kelly was ever born when this came out. What year were you born in? That's what I thought, you know. Long before that, Andy Griffith tells a version of The Golden Arm. You should watch that, that episode sometime, Kelly. Do you know what I'm, what I'm talking about? And he's, tell, he's got all the, like, the boys of the town out. They're camping, and there's Barney, and there's Gomer, and he's telling the story. And the ones that they focused on mostly who were more afraid than anybody else was who? Barney and Gomer. Yeah, so he tells this story. It's an amazing thing. It's like there's, there's some version of this that's well-known to a lot of folks, and we would tell this story without fail. Now, you might be wondering, what does a ghost story have to do with my sermon today? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Only this, that the golden arm story is a familiar story that has been told for generations. It's similar to another familiar story that people have heard before. And Jesus himself is the one who authored this story and told about it. His story didn't, that I'm going to talk about this morning didn't really happen in real life. It's a story that he told to illustrate a point. Jesus did this often, and the stories would become known as what? You know what they are? The parables, exactly. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Very familiar. Most likely, I could invite any one of you to come up here and tell the story of the Good Samaritan, and more than likely, you could just about do it, just about put every detail in that happens in Jesus' story because it's so familiar to you, to everyone. 
It's uh, the idea of special treatment given to someone who, who did not deserve the kindness that was shown. Uh, we are, even though people may not know the biblical setting or the, the origins of the story that Jesus told, in society today, we still have the whole concept of what the Good Samaritan is all about. It's showing what we think is kindness to undeserved. And we do things like name hospitals and institutions after this in honor of this guy by the name that, that we don't have a name for, who is the Good Samaritan. If someone does something to show some act of kindness, we often will refer to that person, well, a Good Samaritan came along and he helped me at a time when I just needed help. Maybe, I don't know, fixed a flat or, or did something that was just, uh, I didn't deserve the kindness that they shared. It's just a good Samaritan came along and did this. Many people have used this story, as a matter of fact, to convince us to contribute to a charitable organization or to try to do some act of kindness for someone else. Others have used it to promote social justice and give to the poor. And yes, it challenges us to do so, no doubt about it. Even as I was preparing for this sermon, I was encouraged to stop and do something kind for someone else, and I did. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I, I decided that I should practice what I preach, and I took the time on Thursday afternoon, and, and, I, and I tried to help uh, two different families. I uh, hope that the kindness that was shown by the Good Samaritan will also prompt you to do something of kindness to other people. Uh, I just I was thinking about this, and this is, this is one of those deals that it's just kind of a side benefit to the sermon that, that I'm going to focus on in a few minutes. But really, when we stop and think about it, what if all of us would make it a part of our daily habits to intentionally do something kind for or to someone else, stranger or friend, it doesn't matter, but if we would just say, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to make a conscious effort to call somebody or go and visit someone or take them a meal or I'm going to just going to be, show some act of kindness to just some random person in my, in my daily activities that I could just be nice to and do an act of kindness. Wouldn't that change a lot of things? Well, I can tell you that in the life of of maybe a, a hundred people or so, that that would make a difference in their lives. Little things, often, it doesn't take much to change someone, the trajectory of someone's day when we do something kind, right? Just some little something might do it, or it could be something big. Here's the reality. Most of us in our lifetime will never have an opportunity come our way to where we do something like this Good Samaritan does that is going to save their life. That doesn't happen very, very often. When that does happen, the media or officials get a hold of it, they make that person a hero, right? 
and we, may, and we celebrate that. So most of us don't have that opportunity, but every one of us has an opportunity to do something good in someone else's life along the way, again, that doesn't necessarily have to be big. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys to turn the lights back on where we had them because I, I want to see people's faces today, all right? I want to make sure nobody's falling asleep on me. You with me? Everybody good? I might come out and preach right next to you if I see you nodding off this morning, all right? But isn't that right? I mean, it doesn't take much to make someone else's life just a little bit better. Maybe it's five minutes or maybe it's something like that. Do we get that, right? Amen. Say amen if you get it, right? Okay. What if we say, well, I don't have opportunity to do that. You know, I'm just not out and about anymore, or I don't have people that I, I mean, what I do every day is very familiar. I don't meet a whole lot of new people. And what if, uh, I mean, how am I going to do that when I don't have opportunity? Well, I've got a solution for that, as a matter of fact. Okay, so if you want to say that to me, yeah, let me just kind of be a little smart aleck for a moment and say, I, I've got that covered for you, all right? You should pray that God would give you an opportunity, you know? Lord, today as I go through my day, would you put someone in my path that I can be a good Samaritan to? And I am just about guarantee if you are consistent in that prayer, that the Lord will bring someone to your mind that you can do some small thing for, some big thing for, that's going to make a difference in their life. You say, well, I don't get out and about. Can you pick up and use a phone? Uh, yes. I, I, maybe I need to come out here and do this. Can you pick up and use a phone? There you go. You know, you can say that prayer, and God can use that to make a difference. The parable that Jesus tells certainly acknowledges a man who goes out of the ordinary to demonstrate kindness. But make no mistake about this. The main reason Jesus is telling this story is not to illustrate the act of kindness that the man does. This is a salvation story. It's dealing with people, a man, who needed to be rescued, who was lost. You know this question, this, this uh, setting of it being a salvation story, by the question that the man asked, it starts the whole dialogue. So if you want to turn your Bibles with me, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to pick up there. I'm not going to read it all the way through. I'm going to stop and make comments as we go through the verses. But here's Jesus telling a story, or leading up to it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, watch this, test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There it is. There's the setup for it being a salvation story. The lawyer in this context, he certainly knows much about the law of Moses. There he's called the lawyer 
uh, he knows about the law, and, and Luke makes it clear that the question that the lawyer asked was not really to discover how to inherit eternal life, but he makes it, he makes pay special attention to say that he was testing Jesus with the question. And there's no doubt that he was trying to draw attention to himself, as we would discover as we later read. He tries to justify himself with other questions, implying that he's more interested in just a simple answer to the question. His question is very similar to another one that was asked that sounded much like it when a certain ruler asked uh, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question by pointing him back to the law, the very thing that the, the lawyer knows much about. And he says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the lawyer certainly knew the five, first five books of the Torah, and he, and he memorized them, committed them to heart. And so he answers, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and this is where he's going to get caught. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, answer, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Not only will you live in this life, but you will live eternally. You're going to have great life by doing this, by following the commandments in this life, but also in the life to come. When you stop and think about it, he asks a really great question. I mean, it's, it's a question that, that quite honestly, every single person, should ask of themselves at some point in time. They should have and, and ponder, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get eternal life? Jesus told him, he asked in return, a question back out. And the lawyer's response is perfect. Jesus told him, hey, you've got the right answer. You've answered correctly. You figured it out. Now do that, and guess what? You'll have eternal life. But watch what the lawyer is about to do. He's about to do something that really shows his motive. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I like the way the message says it. Looking for a loophole, you know? He's caught, but looking for a way out of this answer, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? I can imagine this guy just standing there. At first, he's relieved when, when he answers the question right. He says, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And it's like, Jesus says, I answered that one right. It's like, whew, man, I'm glad I got that one. I answered it correctly. Wait a minute. He's sort of turning the tide on me. So I better come up with another question because he's got me sort of where he wants me. So I'm here to trap Jesus. So his wheels are turning. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Okay, I think I got him now. I've got him where I want him. Let's see how he, how Jesus is going to get out of this one. I mean, can you not kind of imagine that? Who is my neighbor, he asked. He, and when he's asking Jesus this question of who is my neighbor, he has no idea really 
the magnitude of the person that he's asking this question to. He doesn't realize that he's asking someone who could certainly go well beyond matching wits with this lawyer. In fact, he's asking God, the Son, to explain who his neighbor is. And which kind of brings me to this point, it's something we all know, but we forget it. You can never outthink God. You can never outsmart God. You can never go beyond what God knows about you. And instead of answering the question, giving a direct answer to Jesus, knowing the motive behind the man's question, he, he starts telling an extraordinary story. I want you to listen as we kind of talk about this and see if you can identify with any characters in the story. It may be just that it just might speak to who you are and where you might be in your own personal relationship with God as we talk about this. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho. And the road there, uh, it, it, it's a road that his listeners would be very familiar with. The route between two cities is about 17 miles, and in that 17 miles, it descends 3,300 feet or so. And along the road, there are all these hiding places for people, for robbers to hide out and attack victims. And so many were attacked, and people knew that this was a place you just didn't go to. I mean, do you, don't you know some places around... Uh, our area that you know there's no way I'm going there if I go there something bad's gonna happen right I mean do you does anybody know those places raise your hands if you know them how do you know about them <laughs> just just curious I mean there's some places I've been in Nashville it's like what am I doing here yeah. I, I, let me just kind of a sad thing I just kind of feel like it today, you know. Not much good happens after midnight, you know. There are just places in town that you, you just shouldn't be after midnight. I mean, really, don't, have we not seen enough in the news to see that that's the case? Yeah. Okay, I'm moving on here. Uh, when he fell into the hands of the robbers, back to verse 30, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The unfortunate man had been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. In verse 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Can't you picture this? Sees the man laying over there and starts... To and he's just kind of, okay, well, and this keeps on going on the other side of the road. Along comes a priest, this Jewish pastor, and he's like, he's a leader in the synagogue, and he sees the man's been beaten up and left half dead and dying. If you expected anyone that should stop and help, wouldn't you expect it of a priest, a pastor? Right? I mean, what would you think of me? If, if, if I saw you stranded on the side of the road and in trouble and we certainly lock eyes with each other, you're one of my, well, I started to say deacons, I'd probably leave them, but, you know, just teasing guys, just, you know, just making sure you're still with me. Even my deacons, I would 
you know, if I locked eyes with them and I just kind of threw up my hand and waved and kept on going, I mean, really? What would you think, Richard Center, about that pastor right there? You know? Like, it's the, no comment. <laughs> At least in public, just in Deacon's meeting, though, it'd probably be different. It's like, time to get a new pastor, right? You know? So that's what happens. Jesus tells this story in such a way that he's leading up to what really should be a normal expectation of the one who's walking up and seeing what's going on. But surprise, the priest sees him, the Jewish man who's dying, and he passes the man on the other side of the road. The priest doesn't come over to help, and he just passes by. No reason is given. Perhaps it was fear. Maybe he's concerned about those who beat the man up and left him in the ditch waiting to die. Maybe they're still out there wanting to, and they might catch this guy. I mean, I can understand. Have you ever come up on someone that, that was in a bad condition and you're thinking, should I stop? Should I help them? What should I do here? Has anybody ever done that? I want to tell you, I have. And a lot of thoughts are going through your mind, you know. <clears throat> So you're just wondering, what should I do? Well, let me just, I, I have stopped in times past, and quite honestly, now what I would do is I'd stop and I would call the police. That's what I would do. In times past, I might have helped others. I mean, there's common sense that goes along with this. But the real, the real I was going, I would try to offer assistance by calling the people who are best to handle that stay there until they come but that's what I would do today but I've done something in times past that you know was very risky so I can understand that fear that goes along with it Jesus goes on with this story so too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side the Levite He's the one who served the priest. He, too, is an esteemed man in the Jewish community. So you have this priest first, and then you have this Levite, and he, both of them just pass by on the other side. But then the story takes a real different turn, a total unexpectation. But a Samaritan, Jesus mentions this Samaritan. He gets everybody's attention. Eyebrows, I'm sure, are raised and ears start perking up and people who, who are about to be shocked by what Jesus is going to say by, by throwing the Samaritan in this twist into the story. And we, we know why. I mean, we've heard it many times that there was hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. There's a long history there of why that's taken place. And, and, and it's still the hatred that exists between the Jews and the Samaritans. And nobody, I mean, Jews would actually, if they, they would avoid walking on Samaritan soil. They hated them so badly. So here Jesus... He, he puts in this story, he knows about the animosity that's toward the Samaritans and that uh, he decides to throw it in the story. And this is what he said, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put him, the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. He didn't just patch him up. He, he, he takes him to a nice place, a place where he knew that the man would be taken care of. 
Then verse 35, the next day he took out two silver coins, about two days worth of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense that you've done. He tells the innkeeper, hey, take care of this guy. Well, what's his name? Well, I don't know his name. Was he a friend of yours? Well, no, not really. He's just this stranger that I saw on the side of the road, been beaten up, and, and, and I want you to take care of him. But I'm going to come back and check on him, and when I do, if there's money that I still owe, I'll, I'll take care of it at that point in time. A, a Jewish man who's beaten, he's lying on the side of the road, he's avoided by his own kind of people, and yet the most unlikely person of the time takes time to care for him. The man approaches Jesus, who had approached Jesus after Jesus telling this story and asked the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus now turns the table on him and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, who's the one who was trying to do the trapping is the one who's trapped himself. He has to admit, all these other people who had witnessed him ask these questions, trying to trap Jesus, he has to admit in front of them a question that he probably doesn't want to have to answer out verbally. But he answers. He doesn't even say Samaritan. He says, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Notice that Jesus basically just says, okay, just go do that. And then the story ends. I just have a feeling the lawyer became pretty frustrated at this time. And if you're reading the story, it just kind of leaves you hanging at the end. Jesus takes a very relevant question. He tells a story and inquires of the lawyer, basically, which one are you? It is a question of today. Who is this story? Can you really identify in the journey of life? Which of these characters is it? Let's just kind of break down the characters just for a minute and start with the lawyer. He's one, as I said, is versed in the law of Moses. He doesn't really want to follow Jesus, it appears. He's just being trying to trap Jesus. What's his real motivation? What's he really trying to do? What is the character of this, this, really, this guy? Really, you know what? I, I can pretty much figure out his character. You know why? Because quite often I'm just, I've been just like the lawyer. I've tried to justify people that I want to love and I don't want to love. Haven't we all been guilty of that at some point in time? Have we not all kind of sized up people and decided they're just not worth my time? Have we all not just passed on opportunities to help other people? You know, uh, Haven't there been times that... Uh, uh, we have done the very same thing that this guy's. Well, we would say, well, I would never do what this guy did, but we have. Doubting, questioning, why, God? Why do you care about those people? I have to keep myself in check quite pretty often on this as I'm driving down the road. 
Why do these things happen? Many of the Bible characters I can see me in, including this lawyer. He knows about God. He's a proclaimed expert in what religion says. And this religious expert, and he, he, he's got a command of everything. He, he actually answers Jesus' question, you know, what, what are you supposed to do? Love God, love your neighbor. He, he gets that right. The problem is that he's drawn his own conclusions as to who he thinks his neighbor is. And he singles out. These people I like and these people I don't like. And, and these family members I'm going to uh, love and these family members I'm not going to love. We, we do that. Jesus had already been teaching how you should treat others. If a man asks you to carry his cloak for a mile, what do you do? Carry it too. If someone comes to the door in the middle of the night and asks for bread, what do, you, do you give them a stone? He says that. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's been very thorough on his teachings of how we're to treat other people. And, and so this, and when someone comes along and says, who's my neighbor? It's consistent with his teaching. But the lawyer instead, he's trying to make excuses for who he would treat as his neighbor. In other words, as the message said, he's looking for loopholes. Down deep, he's really missing the point. And unfortunately, I see myself, and I see the body of Christ doing this quite often. Now, this is not in my notes, and it's probably um, in some circles, maybe a not wise thing to do, but as you know, the Supreme Court's going to be making a ruling on abortion. I'm not going to get into that issue. I'm just going to say, how is the church going to handle it when there are daughters within our church who are pregnant? Will we wrap our arms around? Will we be prepared to help when that time comes? You know, how are we going to handle that? And on and on the case can go. What are we willing to do as a church to try to help? as a people of God. Are we going to look for loopholes, as a lawyer does? And then how about the priest and the Levite? Let me just combine these two, who they are. They're guys who seem to religiously have it all together. They're successful. They're leaders within the synagogue. Things are going their way. They've got important jobs to do, and but yet, as they see this guy, they can't dirty themselves up with what makes them uncomfortable and messes up their schedule. Often I think we're just like that. We don't want to stop because we're just, quite honestly, too busy. We've got stuff to do. Jesus said they pass by on the other side. How often do we, in essence, pass by? on the other side. They've been influenced by the religion to help, but in fact they choose not to. They know that they're supposed to love their neighbor, but they walk on by, failing to practice what they, what they preached. They show a very shallow devotion to their faith. I think we can 
relate to that in ways just like they did. We're too busy. We don't want to get messed up. We have things to do. I don't think it's our intent. It just happens that life gets in the way, and we don't realize how much, how many people are really hurting all around us. Even greater than that, how many people are truly lost outside of relationship with Jesus? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? If you're too busy making it, achieving it, you know, that's, that, that's not such a bad thing to do. But if you miss the point of relationship with God or seeing others who need a relationship with God, then you're after the whole world and not the main thing. We don't want to forget about the victim. Without him, we don't have a story, really. Verse 30, again, says, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's a way of saying he was dying. He was helpless. He's desperate. He's broken. He is unable to save himself. He will surely die if no one stops to help. Someone needs to come to his rescue. And someone needs to save his life. And along comes the Good Samaritan. Jesus doesn't really reveal much about his life, but through his actions we learn a lot. He literally doesn't make it about himself. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. I read it again because I wanted us to see what he actually does. Let me just emphasize that again. The details are very clear in this. Jesus says he saw him first. He noticed him. He was looking around. He was like that, God, give me an opportunity to speak into someone's life today. Help me to see when you place that opportunity in my life to be able to see. He saw him. He went to where he was. He didn't walk on the other side of the road. He goes to where he is, and he has compassion on him, not just pity, but an inner stirring. He's deeply motivated. He has an unnatural care for this stranger, enough that he moves him to do something about the man's condition. And he bounds his wounds using whatever resources that he has that he's carrying on his journey. He uses the oil and the wine of his own that certainly he should probably need it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have carried it. He, but he uses it to, to do something with this man that no one else had anything to do with. And then he sets him on his own beast. He takes the secondary position where he's not riding anymore. He puts the man on it. He walks rather than rides. He brings him to the inn. To sum it all up, he took care of him. 
meeting all of his needs. Now, surely by this time, you can draw this conclusion, draw parallels to this salvation story, to our own salvation story. This is a picture, this Good Samaritan is a picture of what Jesus does for us. When we're desperate and when we're broken and when we're unable to save ourselves, when we're utterly helpless in our sin, we needed a Savior. And Jesus sees us. And He has compassion on us. And He comes along and He says, I'll bind up your wounds. I'll take you out of this place that you are this place of need. And I'll put the burden that you have of sin, I'll take it off of you, and I'll put it on myself, and I'll carry that burden. And ultimately, he says, I'll take you to a place of safety and security where I'm always there for you. So what started out as this lawyer wanting to trap Jesus goes into this story about how he could receive eternal life. We don't know what happens to the lawyer. As I said, the Bible doesn't tell us. It just ends. But our story doesn't have to. You see... We have the privilege, the opportunity to know so much more than what this lawyer does because of the teachings that's found in the Bible that tells us how to have eternal life. The reality of it is we still have a choice, just like the lawyer did. Do I believe and trust in Jesus, or do I walk away? It's really kind of a sad ending. Just as sad as it is when a lost person walks away from the opportunity to come to know Christ. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? And Father, I'm grateful that my story, the story of countless other people where your Holy Spirit has spoken into our lives and said, do you want eternal life? And her answer was yes. And the answer is, was found in Jesus. And followers of Christ made the decision to invite him in their hearts to experience this salvation story. We're grateful, Father, that we have this opportunity to, 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 to have salvation. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Sadly, so much of the world is trying to find it in other ways. 
and they're going to miss it, just like the lawyer did. They're going to miss it. Father, here in this place this morning, people that might be here that's never invited Jesus to come into their hearts, I pray that their story does not end by walking away and saying no, but that they would see the act of salvation that was brought to them, that in their desperate need to have a Savior, that you came along just at the right time, this time, to say, will you choose me? Will you follow me? So, Father, I pray if there's one person here, that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you're dealing with them, and their, their own personal salvation story that right now they would say, I don't want to walk away. I want Jesus to save me, come into my life and become my Lord. Holy Spirit, continue to speak. Maybe you're here today and You've never had that personal experience. Today's your day. Today's your choice. To accept that Jesus did, in fact, die for your sins, came to rescue you from that, or to walk away. Say, well, Steve, I, I, I just don't fully understand it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, that's where the faith part comes in. You just say, I'm going to believe and I'm going to, by faith, accept that you did this for me. And take that step. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Maybe you need to take that step. You can do it in your, certainly in your own seat just by praying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit my sin. I know I can't save myself. I know that's why you came. You died on the cross and paid the penalty. And I accept that free gift of salvation. I give my life to you. If you prayed that prayer where you're sitting, then guess what? Jesus heard that prayer. And you've been saved. It's really that simple. Yet we're supposed to profess it publicly. So if you prayed that prayer in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and share that you prayed that prayer with me. And I'll pray with you. We'll talk about follow-up things. Maybe you're here today and you've seen yourself as one of these other characters to where you just haven't really been taking your faith seriously. You've been playing the game. Yet you know there's so much more that God's calling you to do. You've been busy with pursuits of other ways 
other things that have gotten in the way of the most important thing. And that's loving God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Yet there's other things that have just kind of interfered with that. Maybe it's time that you face that same decision of saying, God, I need to make you first in my life. And don't miss this opportunity. Don't walk away from it. If you have something that you want to respond to by coming in this altar, either praying alone by yourself or asking me to pray with you, again, don't miss this opportunity as we do it right now. Would you stand and would you sing, please? This morning dawns and evening fades. You inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and
true statement, Father. It's a very true words of this song. There is no other power that has the ability to save except your name, the name of Jesus. We're grateful for that, that salvation story that was made available. And I just can't help but to think that those people that were standing around, they were listening, participating by hearing what Jesus was saying, that some of them were so impressed that at some point in time, they too decided to make Jesus the Savior and Lord of their life. And I pray that maybe, maybe through this message today, through your word that speaks so clearly towards it, that other people will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. For what we do as a church, through our witness, in Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated, please. Pastor Mike's going to come up. We've got some exciting things coming up this week and next week. I think he's going to talk about it. So um, this week, we hope you all will be in prayer for us. This week starts our kids camp at Center Kid in Cumberland University. We have some kids going this week that are going to be part of a worship time every night and Bible study, um, a lot of track times. And if you would just keep them in prayer, you can uh, see their names on the Realm uh, server on our church software. If you go there to our uh, posts of news, we would just be really, really appreciative if you just keep them in prayer this week that they would open their hearts to what God wants to tell them. Um, thank you for, so much for your support and your prayer for them this year as they go this week. And we'll have a, a great report next Sunday on that when we come back. VBS is coming very, very quickly. For the first time since 2019, we are going to have VBS in the building pre-COVID. So isn't that awesome? Next week, we're going to have a volunteer lunch after service immediately following. We're just going to get together for a little bit, have some food, talk our game plan. So if you've uh, volunteered and you're one of our leaders, just plan on staying after service just for a few moments to have some food and talk our game plan. It's going to be a great, great summer, concrete and cranes. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun that week. And if you would like to be a part of that still and uh, you haven't voiced that, please come talk to me. We'd love to have you as part of the, the team this year. Yeah. Very good. Well, we have student ministry that is uh, going to camp the week after children's ministry, but we'll talk more about that next week. And these guys will become dragging, they'll come be dragging in the next Sundays after that because they've just been with these kids all week long, you know. Yeah. They'll be wanting days off and it's like, please help me. <laughs> We're blessed this morning to have come and be a part of our church family, Ms. Paula Weimar. Paula comes to us from a sister church in Nashville, and she and I spent some time together getting to know each other, and she and her family have started coming while I was away recuperating from uh, surgery, and, uh, and you guys, she told me, she really did, she told me this, that you all did such a great job of taking care of her family that she said, it impresses we want this to become our church home, okay? So thank you for doing that, church family. And Paula, we rejoice with you, and we're grateful that you're choosing Sunset Hills to be your church family here in official membership. And may God bless what we do together in this community to try to share his gospel, okay? I'm going to ask you to go to the lobby and stand out there. We didn't talk about this, so surprise. Oh. Uh, and 
uh, and just so people can come by and welcome you and, sp and speak to you and uh, to say they're glad to have you a part of our church family, okay? So you can go out there and uh, folks, can you can go by and welcome her into our church, okay? We good? Ready to go home? We are. Ready to go home? Would you please stand? Just don't, 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 uh, just kind of look at somebody and say, uh, I'm going to do something kind for you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You got to be serious if you're going to do it. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to do something kind for you. I know that's going to be hard for some of you all who are husband and wife, but <laughs> anyway, God bless you. Great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us, and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.